And a quick note before we begin, at the Story Collider, we believe everyone has a story about science. It impacts all of our lives and belongs to all of us. We believe that it's critically important that the stories we hear about science accurately reflect the full diversity of people, experiences, and emotions involved. One of our proudest moments in 2016 was seeing new peer-reviewed evidence that Story Collider episodes encourage undergraduates to abandon stereotyped attitudes and help understand students see possible futures for themselves in science. Help us continue to produce life-changing stories by going to storyclider.org slash support. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they... I felt, felt, felt I felt right. I was so and I just thought, well... I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Emily Grossman. It was recorded in September 2016 at the Taliesin Arts Center in Swansea as part of the British Science Festival. Good evening, everyone. So a little over a year ago, I had a pretty awful experience that would change the way in which I see the world forever. I was publicly mocked, attacked, shamed, and humiliated on social media. Why? Partly for daring to suggest that it's okay for scientists to cry. Before I explain further, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm Dr. Emily Grossman, and I absolutely love science. I've always loved figuring stuff out, solving problems, understanding the world. When I was a kid, my favorite word was why. I would drive my teachers and my parents mad. But I've also always loved communicating, talking to people, uh, explaining stuff, helping other people to understand things, and performing on stage. So when I was growing up, I wanted to be an actress or a scientist or both. But I had no idea how to combine these kind of two different parts of myself. So I studied natural sciences at Cambridge, went on to do a PhD in cancer research, and did theatre for fun. Then I figured out that I didn't really enjoy the the practical sides of science and research, so I swapped things around for a bit and trained and worked as a professional actress and singer. Then I became a science teacher, and then I finally found a way to combine these kind of different parts of myself as a science broadcaster and educator. I teach science, I talk about science on the TV and the radio. I give, I give talks about science in schools, in universities, and at public events. I aim to show people just how exciting science is and to inspire more young people to study it. And I love what I do. Okay, so so it was that on a hot day last June, I was out for a run and I got a call from Sky News. They told me that the Nobel Prize-winning scientist, Sir Tim Hunt, had just made a comment at a conference, and they said that he'd said one of the things he'd said was that his trouble with girls in the lab is that when you criticize them, they cry. They asked me what I thought about this. Now, my immediate instinctive response was, oh, that's not very helpful, is it? Okay. I ran home, jumped in the shower, and within an an hour, I was in the cab on the way to the studio. Now, while I was in the taxi, The people from Sky News said that actually this wasn't going to be an interview, but it was going to be a debate, and that my opponent would have quite strong views on the subject, and I should stand my ground. 
Little did I know that my opponent would be Milo Yiannopoulos, who is um, a right-wing columnist and broadcaster and a self-branded most fabulous supervillain of the internet, who has famously likened rape culture to Harry Potter, saying that both are fantasy. He's also a notorious troll, with over 300,000 followers on Twitter before he was suspended quite recently. So, suffice to say, the debate itself was a pretty terrifying experience, but I managed to stick to my points, which were, some women cry, so what? I cry. In fact, we should be encouraging more men to cry. And any implication that women who cry are in some way less competent as scientists even if it was meant as a joke, is a little irresponsible, particularly in an environment when a lot of girls already lack the confidence to pursue careers in science. We need to be supporting and encouraging more girls to study science, not risking putting them off. Shortly after the debate, Milo tweeted a, a link to a clip of the debate on YouTube. And so began a torrent of abuse on social media. People were attacking me, my credentials, uh, my qualifications, my looks, um, my opinions, even my Jewishness. Uh, they were making sexually explicit comments, um, horrible name-calling. It was pretty shocking. But actually, it wasn't the personal attacks that upset me the most. What I found more disturbing were the, the attacks that seemed to be attacking me as a representative of all women, saying that women are biologically inferior to men, are incapable of being scientists, not clever enough, um, irrational, incapable of logical thought. Calling emotional women like me emotionally incontinent toddlers. I just couldn't believe that in this modern day, people were referring to women as crybabies and not as clever as men. Then there were the comments that were calling feminists like me uh, deluded or crazy or saying that I must just hate men. They were twisting my arguments and using them against me. But actually, the thing I found the most disturbing was a load of comments that were basically saying that sexism doesn't exist, that women are making it up to attack men, that unconscious bias isn't a thing, that actually women these days have completely equal opportunities, that we shouldn't need to give them extra support, that it isn't fair to do so, that women actually just don't want to study science, and that people like me should stop pushing them. They were saying that if women aren't succeeding in our chosen fields, that we should just try harder, toughen up, grow some balls, or get back in the kitchen. Shockingly, some of these comments were from women. Now, to make matters worse, when I then tweeted within a few hours to say that I was absolutely reeling from this misogynistic backlash, I then received hundreds of comments basically saying that I was lying, that I was crying wolf, that I was exaggerating, or that I was seeking attention. Milo himself, very shortly afterwards, wrote an article about me titled, Why do feminists cook up stories of misogyny when they lose debates? In this, he claimed that he'd gone through my entire Twitter feed, and all he'd found were some boisterous comments, some criticism of my arguments, some obliging comments about my looks, a little trolling, and some slight meanness. I felt like I was going crazy. I mean, I just didn't know what to think. I, I, I completely started to doubt myself. I thought, am I going mad? Is this me? Am I wrong? Is everybody else right? Surely it's, I'm representing other women here, but maybe I'm not. 
I thought I was speaking from my, my own experience and also the experience of countless women that I've spoken to. But the reality that I knew deep down to be true was suddenly being twisted and doubted and dismissed by so many other people. I really thought that I was going mad. It began to make me sick that so many people were just telling me to dismiss this, to laugh it off, that boys will be boys, to turn off my phone. It felt too important. I really wanted to explain my point of view, to respond to as many of these comments as possible, compassionately and kindly, and basically tell them what was going on and, and why I'd said these things. I wanted to, to stand up for these countless other women who have found themselves challenged in these same environments, who have, who have been challenged by the challenge of, of, of being in a, a male-dominated world. I wanted to, to explain that it's not a battle, that it's not about attacking men. It's about supporting women to give them equal opportunities, to give everyone equal opportunities. It's about leveling the playing field so that women have true freedom of choice. But this steady onslaught of comments basically seemed designed to shut me up. And eventually, it worked. After about two weeks of being constantly on red alert, hardly sleeping, lying awake at night, being honestly terrified about what was going to happen next, my body decided that it had enough, and I got sick with a, a really nasty flu-like virus. Now, luckily, at around this time, the amazing group of women at a team called End Online Misogyny heard about what was going on with, for me, and they wrote a blog about my story, which meant that I no longer had to handle it all on my own. They persuaded me that I wasn't going crazy, and they encouraged me to hand over my Twitter account to a good friend to keep an eye on the comments, and they persuaded me to take a break from social media. I turned off my computer for a month. I took myself out into nature. I looked after my body. I cried a lot, and I got some support. Now, once I'd recovered, and I was able to breathe again and think clearly, I knew that I had to do something. Three comments in particular had stuck in my mind. Women are too sensitive to science. There is no crying in science. Can't stand the heat, stay out the kitchen. And these so-called touchy-feely strengths of women are of no importance to science. Now, for me, it was this crazy notion that people who show emotions are in some way not welcome in the science lab that was so troubling. So, I cried after the trolling following that TV debate. I cried a lot. I cried because I witnessed so much fear and anger and hatred. And for a while, the world seemed a pretty desolate place. But crying is okay. In fact, crying is essential. I mean, crying is a natural part of what it is to be human. It allows us to express our emotions, to allow them to pass really through us, to, to process our experiences. Studies have shown that nine out of ten people feel better after a good cry. My dad is a world-renowned medical expert, a medical scientist, professor of endocrinology, and world expert. He cries. People cry. And after I'd cried, I came back stronger, clearer, more able to process and understand what had happened to me 
and take action. <laughs> I'm glad it happened to me. I'm glad that I was able to have this experience because it showed me. It showed me what's important to me. What I wanted to put out into the world, what I want to say, which is that it's okay to feel. In fact, it's good to feel. And science needs people who feel. And that I want to talk about my experience, that I want to share it in the hope that no one else ever feels as isolated, alone, and powerless as I did. So that's what I've been doing for the last year or so. I've been giving talks in schools and universities and public events. I've been doing lots of media interviews. And I gave a TEDx talk at UCL called Why Science Needs People Who Cry. I still get the occasional backlash on social media. I even got um, a column written about me in a national newspaper which said that women like me need to man up over trolling. It hurts. It feels horrid. It will always feel horrid. But it'll never be the dreadful shock that it was the first time that it happened to me. Because now I'm prepared, and I'm ready, and I'm able to deal with it better. So my message is this. Parents, tell your children. Teachers, encourage your students. Students, support each other to feel, no matter what gender you identify with, and to feel excited about science. And let's produce a next generation of scientists who are not put off by gender or race or background or anything else, but who, who are united only in a desire to understand the world. Because if you're excited about understanding the world, then science is for you. And science needs you, not just even if you cry, but especially if you cry. Thank you. That was Emily Grossman. Emily is an expert in molecular biology and genetics with a double first in natural sciences from Queen's College, Cambridge, and a PhD in cancer research, as well as a science broadcaster, writer, and educator. If you enjoyed today's story or are a fan of the podcast, please consider writing us a review on iTunes. It's a great way to help new listeners find the podcast, and we love sharing these stories. We are also grateful for the support of the Simons Foundation, who helped make this all possible. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Daniel, Christine Gentry, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, Cassie Soliday, Nissa Greenberg, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders, and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Twitter for being so addictive that... Oh, yay, I got another retweet. Thanks for listening.